Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard for a special edition of our podcast. Um, last week's episode, or this week's episode just went up, but it is Friday, December, what is, I don't even know what today is, my brain is, December 3rd, Friday, December 3rd, and we woke up to news this morning that Neil Olshay has been fired, and we felt that this needed its own podcast, we didn't want to wait a whole week to talk about this, it's big news, really big news, so we we wanted to go ahead and do a special episode. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the the announcement that came this morning from the team. This is the official statement from the Portland Trailblazers. The Portland Trailblazers are committed to building an organization that positively impacts our colleagues, communities, and the world in which we live and play. Following the conclusion of the independent review of concerns and complaints around our workplace environment at the practice facility, the Portland Trailblazers organization has decided to terminate general manager and president of basketball operations, Neil Olshay, effective immediately due to violations of the Portland Trailblazers code of conduct. Out of respect for those who candidly participated in that privileged investigation, we will not release or discuss it. We are confident that these changes will help build a more positive and respectful working environment. Joe Cronin has been promoted to interim general manager while the organization's leadership conducts a search for a permanent replacement. So that's where we're at on this Friday morning. Dave, how are you feeling? Well, I mean, they're obviously trying to fire him for cause. Uh, this is not basketball related. We can talk about both, but let's let's talk about that. The actual stated reasons for the dismissal first. And uh, again, I think as we have stated before, as I'm stated in I've stated in writing, this comes as no big surprise to anyone who's been around the Blazers for the last ten years. That Neil was charitably difficult, self-serving. And that is not necessarily, those are not damning qualities in a lead executive in professional sports, but also willing to exercise power in whatever way was necessary in order to preserve his own prerogatives or opinions, however he saw them, um, which is problematic in any leader when you already have all the power, which increasingly he did. Uh, it's incumbent upon you then to use that in a way that is measured and that allows access for people who systemically don't. Uh, otherwise, you run the risk of becoming just basically a dictator. Uh, I, I won't use that word as regards to Neil because I wasn't inside the organization to speak uh, clearly or, or intelligently about that particular you know adjective, but... Certainly, Neil uh, has many, many incidences of using his power for his own benefit and, more to the point, using his power to actively shut out anyone who would pose a threat to that or even simply disagree, which in Neil's world appeared to be a threat uh, to disagree with him. We've had stories from media people. We've had stories from former people who have been in the organization or worked with the organization, and I think it's clear that this this has been bad for a while, and it's it's good that they have responded. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things that I feel like we've talked so consistently about just kind of the slow demise of this team, of the franchise, um, of what's going on inside the organization and how frustrating that's been to watch. And when all of these accusations started coming out and an investigation started, I don't think I wasn't shocked by it. I don't think you were either. Um, but not being shocked by it doesn't change the fact that it's heartbreaking that people have been made to feel this way and have been treated the way that they have by someone who held power over their heads. Um, I am 
really encouraged to see this. It's one of those things where, you know, when this first started, I thought, okay, this is good. And then as it continued, I thought, man, I don't know. There was talk that he might keep his job, that this, that he might live to GM another day. And it was looking like that. The longer it went on, the, you know, less that was said about it, the way that this organization has been lately, it wouldn't have surprised me if they'd kind of tried to just shove it under the rug and move on. And so this morning, waking up to that announcement is, is encouraging. Um, I still don't, I, I feel like we've struggled so much to have faith in this franchise over the last however long. And it feels like a little step in the right direction. It's not a fix all for the leadership issues, basketball aside, for the issues that are there within the franchise, it's not a fix all. We still have a GM that I feel like is, is there's still issues. But that being said, at least the people within the organization can breathe a little easier today. At least today, the people who are going to work for the Portland Trailblazers aren't fearing for their jobs, aren't fearing for their treatment um, and and at least we've at, at the least we've done that, and I I'm really grateful for that. Um, I think there's a, a an overwhelming sense of relief from fans, you know, even celebration from fans. This is something that even though there's been a lot of disagreements on different aspects of the team, it seems to me like a lot of people have agreed that. Neil Olshay needs to go. So this morning, there seems to be a lot of of good, positive response to this. Yes, with an asterisk. uh, The basketball side has not worked out. If the Blazers were still going to the conference finals, I think that the pushback from fans would be greater because we want to justify whatever it is that fills our agenda. And that is the caution here that... Doing good or bad, whether the team was doing good or bad, that this issue has been around for a while. It's become more noticeable when they have not succeeded on the court. But when we say that, look, we're going to condemn the guy for his abuses if the Blazers lose, but if they win, we're going to look the other way, we become a party to that. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just repeating the offense in our own way. We just have a different agenda. We just want the team to win and everything else to not bother us, as opposed to, you know, Neil, whatever it is he wanted and used his power to enforce. I I feel a responsibility, I guess, to lift up the idea that wrong is wrong or problematic is problematic. And just because problematic wears a face that you find pleasing or has an agenda that you agree with doesn't mean problematic is justifiable. Uh, And I feel like that's been a learning experience for this fan base. And I'm not sure, frankly, that it's happened because, again, it's been easy for a lot of people over the last, well, I mean, it's intensified since last year's playoffs when the Blazers lost to the Nuggets, but even somewhat before that. Uh, you know, it's been easy for for fans to just look the other way or to push back. And there's, frankly, there was a lot of pushback. Not a lot. There was less than in past years. But there's been some pushback uh, against this investigation, against whether Neil should be investigated, against whether Neil should be fired because of the investigation. I mean, the Blazers have left little doubt here why they're dismissing him. I mean, it's because they are protecting their culture in whatever legalized words they're using. Those legalities also might allow them to try to wiggle out of his contract. I'm not sure about that. We'll have to see. But, you know, that they're leaving no doubt that for them, this is not a basketball thing. This is a cultural thing. And to the extent that that's true, that's been true for a long time. And we need to ask ourselves why we didn't pay more attention to that or why that didn't matter more in 2019 or in 2017 or when we first begin to really see it in 2015. I would pretty much guarantee this would be a different conversation if this was a championship team. If the team was doing well and Neil was doing his job well, I think we'd be having different conversations here. I think it'd be harder to get people on board with this. I think the fact that this has been such a struggle 
um, with him on the basketball side of things made it easier to make these decisions. Um, and you're right. It, 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 how he performs in his job, even though that is an issue and people are unhappy with that, that's not the issue. That's not why he's being fired. And I think that that's important to continue to remember that this is, this is a result of mistreatment of employees. He's being fired because he's breached, you know, their code of conduct. Um, that's big. And I think that that is something that always needs to be focused on. We don't want this to turn into, well, he sucked at his job. Like, you know, this is, there are very real people who had very real issues that were enough to fire him over. Um, and I think that that's something that the attention needs to stay on. This isn't about Neil Olshay as a GM of basketball. Oh, we'll um, get there too. Is, I mean, that's well, yeah, but. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that, that is a conversation that we will have and, and that obviously has an impact on the future of the team. But I think it's important to remember that there was, there was mistreatment of people and, and that that is the reasoning behind this. That definitely doesn't take away the fact that on the basketball side of things, we've needed this change for a while as well. Right. Well, and and this, again, is the learning point, that mistreatment doesn't look like a person crawling out of the corner and saying, I'm the bad person, booga booga, you know, I'm going to mistreat all of you. <laughs> um, it literally looks like people exercising their power over people who they have under their wings or under their authority. Um and in ways that you don't always see, and against people who aren't always the most prominent, because then you would see it, right? So you have people who exercise their authority over the vulnerable, over the less visible, and then to the public and or to anyone who might be an authority or critique them with what they see as a meaningful voice, they put on a completely different face. And this is very hard to see. And you don't want to distrust everyone in your life. I mean, some people are just wonderful, and some people are very charismatic, and those are legitimate things, and those are fine. But when you see that dichotomy, when you see the one face turning here and saying this, this, and this, and you even have questions about what that is, what's, what's being said there, because wait a minute, this doesn't seem in line with reality. Oh no, this is reality, this is reality. Da, 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 da. If you don't think this, you're stupid. All of a sudden, now, you, you begin to see the audience being divided into people who agree with me are acceptable and smart, and people who disagree yeah. with me should be ostracized, yeah. isolated, and are stupid. Okay, that immediately should make you itch, right? And Every bit of energy that goes into separating out and demeaning the people who are not, quote-unquote, with the program is indicative of the mindset. I mean, because the mindset doesn't change. It's just their assessment or objectification of the target. So, you know, you shouldn't feel flattered if someone like that puts on a smiling face with you and says, you're the greatest. They don't really mean it. They're just using right. you in a different way, right? And they've they've deemed you as important, but being important in the eyes of someone who does that shouldn't be that important. In fact, it's icky because you're participating in the entire process. And then those whom they deem unimportant, you may be fairly sure that those people are continuing, continuing to be ostracized and uh, taken advantage of and demeaned and forced to uh, comply. This is not great leadership. This is actually very scary leadership. Uh, and in the interpersonal world, when this happens in interpersonal relationships, we literally call this violence or abuse. Yep. In the workplace, the rules are slightly different and the definitions are slightly different, but there's a limit to that difference. And by the way, that limit involves the boundaries are doing your job. You know, you are doing your job and within the context of doing your job, there is some permission perhaps for a boss to say, hey, get with the program. This is how we do things, et cetera, et cetera. But those limits are tightly bounded 
when we see things leaking over the edge, like we saw with Neil, I mean, demeaning reporters and, and you know, doing other things. And believe me, you haven't even begun to hear, hear the stuff that happened yeah. off camera. Um, yep. That, that that's a huge, huge red flag that the perception of power and of self-importance has gone beyond the boundaries of the job and is not for the sake of the job. It's for the sake of the person wielding the power and has become more like the abusive interpersonal relationship and less like a professional boss. Yeah, well, and one of the things that that is worrisome to me is this has been go this isn't new you know that he didn't just start doing this this is you know a part of how he's done things and so you know he like to your point essentially has people around him who are either part of it or at least allowing it to go on um, it took someone filing a formal complaint to get this moving in motion. And, and the fact of that is wild to me because you know that if we saw bits and pieces of this slipping in front of a news camera, that people on the inside also saw things like this. You know, I, I find it really hard to believe that Jody Allen didn't know at all what was going on. And, and, you know, I mean, we, we, we had a little bit of that conversation on the podcast earlier, but I will say that I'm glad to see that she went ahead and fired him. I, I think that would have been even more concerning had she not. But the fact that he was allowed to to operate in this way for such a long time without anybody really seemingly batting an eye is problematic. And that's my, my concern moving forward is that we don't end up right back in this position with someone else that moving forward people are not allowed to behave that way that moving forward our bottom line isn't you know what it's been that that we hold the employees and the leadership to a higher standard than what neil was held to yeah well i mean and as i said on our earlier podcast i have no problem believing that jody didn't know because all you have to do is not pay attention she's not expert in basketball she never was uh that Paul Allen was the one who was hyper-involved. Jody inherited this. And to her credit, I think she has been participating. I mean, you see her courtside, and I'm sure she knows generally what's going on with the team. But being inexpert in it, who do you lean on? It's your experts. And who is positioned as the expert in the Portland Trailblazers organization for the last 10 years, more than Neil Olshay. Nobody. In fact, nobody but Neil Olshay was positioned as the expert. Not even Terry Stott, who apparently was routinely berated with profanity uh, from Olshay's seat, uh, you know, while he was, while he was working. Uh, and, you know, uh, there, there's, there's no way that he gets access to the owner in the same way. Uh, and also... There's no way that Olshay. I mean, you saw, you you heard the stories of how anybody disagree who disagreed with Olshay was at risk or berated yep. or whatever. So, and yeah. they don't have access to Jody naturally unless Neil like gives them access, and he's not going to give them access. In fact, he's actively keeping them down. So, who's her expert? It's just him. This is the same thing that happens. I mean, I deal with this sometimes uh, as as a minister, that someone will come in to me and tell me a story on behalf of their family, and I will listen, and I don't disbelieve it, but I'm always aware that I'm hearing one point of view, right? and it could be the point of view of the most value or vulnerable and needy person in the family, but it also could be the point of view of the power uh, broker right. in the family right. who's looking to recruit me and my organization, the church, whatever, as right. an ally in whatever they're doing. And I always have to make sure that I keep that in mind. But I'm trained to do that. Why would Jody? Jody's not trained in basketball. Jody's probably not trained in management. She's just, it, what Neil says, that's her access. So, of course, right. Neil's not going to go, I'm a jerk. I'm violating culture, <laughs> you know. No, Lawrence. but. But you also have to think for for years, this is a person she's had interaction with. And, and you know, I, I always relate this back to the abuse that I'm familiar with. And to me, people who do things like that, who have the, this 
mentality of power and control and manipulation, um, it's, it's, it's often something they can hide when needed, but for that long to not hear anything about it, I don't know, either way, whether she did or she didn't, now this has happened. Now it's been brought to the forefront. It's been a whole thing. I hope that moving forward, they will pay closer attention to things like that. And I hope that moving forward, the people working for the organization will feel comfortable saying to whoever they need to say, hey, this is going on and it's not okay. Um, I, I think that at least that message has been sent that, you know, if, if a complaint is brought, it's at least going to be looked into. I hope, I hope we can get that from this. Well, I mean, sure, the, the process appeared to work. I mean, the lead guy in the organization is now gone because people complained. I mean, complaint is not the right. People filed a complaint. We're not going to know the details of that. And, and we shouldn't. We that, I think to. that's appropriate. If they're dismissing him, we're going to presume that uh, that they were serious enough to do that. Although, yep. one ray of hope for what you're saying is most of the time, these kind of things are a Rorschach test. Like, there's there, it's gray area. Uh, and especially in the world of professional sports, which harkens back to, frankly, uh, norms from other times. So if the organization wanted to keep him, they wouldn't have had to do probably too much justification to do it, depending on what, maybe, maybe there's a huge smoking gun in that report, but it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a story came out of, you know, horror. Although I, I, again, I wouldn't dismiss that there could be because I don't know where the, the guy's boundaries are. I never saw that he had any. So no. who knows? But let's presume that, that, like most of the cases, there's you could read it either way, right? You could you could go left or right. The fact that they went this way might signal that yeah, this is important to them, and yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, cynics will say it could also signal that they want to fire him for, him for cause, get out of the $30 million left in his contract because the team is not where it's supposed to be. Uh, maybe there's some of that, too. I'm not saying they didn't have incentive, but let's take the bright point of view, I say, I'd say, and say, you know what, it is difficult to fire your lead executive under these circumstances, they probably had an opportunity not to, and they chose to anyway because of this stated reason. That's probably a good sign, Dia, for what you're saying. And I'm willing to, I won't say I'd invest trust in the organization, but I'm willing to at least listen and not, let's put it this way. The dark cloud over the organization is somewhat lighter today than it yeah. was yesterday. And yeah. um, it's certainly much lighter than if they would have kept him. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I posted when we were going to record this, I posted on Twitter and just asked like, hey, guys, how are you feeling? Where do we go from here? Does this solve anything? What? And one of the comments that I, I got that I think was solid is, I'm not going to read the explicitive, but he said, I feel so effing relieved. It's not going to fix anything on the court, but man, does it make it easier to be a Blazers fan today? And I think that there's, I think that's the sentiment that I'm seeing that, you know, there's, it's been a, a a year of letdown from this team and in, in how things have been handled and, and what's gone on. And a lot of that falls on the shoulders of Neil Olshay and to keep someone like that around on top of all of that, on top of how we watched him mishandle the, the situation with the hiring of, of Chauncey Billups. And then with the way that, you know, these allegations have come out against him, if the franchise were to have kept him, it would have been really, really hard to get past that feeling that they just really don't care how people feel. They don't care about the pain that's inflicted on, on employees, on fans, on whoever. They don't care. They just are running a business. And I don't think that you want to feel that way with a team that you love. You don't want to feel like it's just a business. And so I do think that in some way, this alleviates a little bit of this. It feels like maybe somebody actually cares or at least is acting like they do because there's been enough outcry about it. And either way, I feel okay about that. Um, it's, it's, there's, it's not a fix-all. This is not a fix-all for anything, for basketball or the franchise, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure this is indicative that they care or that they know how to care yet. But it is at least 
indicative that they're not going to go all the way to the negative. You know, yeah. that they they, they they that they agree that there there is probably an issue here, and if employees are feeling unwell, and the entire community is looking at this guy and saying this is icky, that 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 at least is not acceptable. Now, I don't think they're all of a sudden going to, or maybe nor should they. Maybe. The world of basketball doesn't allow it to be touchy-feely, and you have to make hard decisions or whatever. But you know what? I mean, and people jump to comparisons like, well, if I'm in a foxhole with somebody, okay, well, if you're in a foxhole with somebody, you know, out on the battlefield, that's a little different environment than a professional business office, no matter how you want to paint your business, and no matter, they are two different things. Um if life or death is on the line and my sergeant, you know, swears at me and, and says, get the hell over here, you know, I presume my sergeant is doing that to keep me alive and to keep the unit alive and to keep the mission uh, successful because this is literally a life or death issue. Uh, you don't get to do that in professional sports. I'm sorry. You just, you know, you have to, you have to follow some norms. It's just saying, this is the NBA, we want to win, doesn't give you carte blanche to act however you want. And the contrast here, of course, has been Damian Lillard and the, you know, the image that he has built, the brand that he has curated, and which to all examination, and people have looked at it from various sides. I'm not saying, I don't know Damian Lillard either. I can't vouch for what goes on in Damian Lillard's life, but I am saying that Every angle that anybody has ever looked at Damian Lillard from, they have found consistency. They have found some measure of charity and respect for people around him uh, and a regard for the person asking the question, for the people hearing the answer to the question, for the integrity of what he's doing professionally, for the brands he's representing. All that stuff has been there. It's everything that Neil wasn't. And the, the contrast between those two is really stark and ironic because here you have the example of even in a professional sports world, someone who appears to do it really, really right, and then someone who wants to use being in professional sports as justification for doing it really, really wrong. And I think you have the example on your own team, in your own franchise, that that is not necessarily so. Yeah, it's it's there's definitely a contrast there. And I think that, again, that's been one of the frustrating things to watch is is this front of good people that we have that, you know, we've got guys that actually seem to care about people that are kind, that are genuine, that are good with media and interactions with fans and people. I've been to a couple games where I've been right there at the beginning um, when the Blazers come through in LA. So this isn't even at the Moda Center where they're at home. And I have watched Damian Lillard stop at every single person before the game who's waiting to have him sign something. Even if it takes him 10 minutes, he goes through and he signed. I, I watched, I've watched him do it several times. You know, a lot of times the guys will run through, they'll sign a couple things, they'll shake a couple hands, whatever, they'll run through. But he really takes his time stopping to, to, to sign everything that's put out there for him. There are little things like that that make Damian Lillard different, that make him Damian Lillard. And when you have that kind of a contrast with a guy like Neil Olshay, who's sitting here preaching, oh, we like good character, but then being an absolute jerk, when, when it comes down to actually dealing with people, that's a, it's hard to ignore that. So, I mean, we can move also to the basketball end of things. Yeah. That, um, so Olshay's biggest success in Portland duplicated his biggest success in, with the Clippers, which is getting a point guard uh, that revolutionized or anchored the franchise. In L.A., it was Chris Paul, which, as we've mentioned several times, that trade was doctored by the league, that they tried, the the league owned the New Orleans Pelicans at the time or was managing it. Uh, And they tried to trade Paul to the Los Angeles Lakers as part of a package. And other NBA owners and execs went ballistic because the Lakers got the most talented player in the trade in Paul and also got cap relief, even though the names going back to New Orleans were significant at the moment, they weren't anywhere near Paul's caliber and they weren't franchise-changing players. So that deal got nixed. Uh, David Stern famously pulled it back. 
which is unheard of, but it was kind of unheard of for the league to be managing a team in the first place. Uh, the former owners had left and a new owner wasn't there yet. So Paul wanted to go to L.A. What's the other L.A. team? It was the Clippers. And who was the GM at that point? It was Neil Olshay. So bada bing, bada boom, Paul gets traded to the other franchise. So Neil does get some credit for that, but there's an assist there. It's a wind-assisted franchise-changing move. So LA goes through what they go through. They have a decent team. Uh, Neil comes to Portland. Neil comes to Portland after a series of debacles in the general manager position. Uh, There was uh, obviously Bob Witsit. You can go back to Bob Witsit, who looked really great at first, this was Paul Allen's golden age of making all kinds of moves and acting like a fantasy owner. Witsit aided and abetted that, but eventually that turned into the Jailblazers. You had Steve Patterson and John Nash, who were brought in to be the headhunters uh, and to undo the Jailblazers era, which meant basically axing everything and everyone around them, including budget. You, you, you know those kind of execs. You know this in the corporate world. They come in to trim the franchise back. And that's what they did. Of course, they were massively unpopular. And Patterson made more so by his out-of-town status, his bigger-than-thou kind of attitude, which drove local media crazy. So uh, they were hugely unpopular. Then you got a little breathing space with Kevin Pritchard, who came in, and he came in under Patterson, actually, and reportedly helped facilitate the draft that brought the Blazers, Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge, even though Patterson was technically still in charge there. Um, And... Kevin Pritchard was homespun, one of the guys, you know, aw shucks kind of guy. Uh, first time I ever met him, he he didn't know me from Adam. He knew my name and what I'd done. Um, he also knew, by the way, that initially that I had had questions about uh, that Brandon Roy draft machinations and all the trades that went into it. Nonetheless, he threw his arm around my shoulder, said, hey, how you doing? You know, shook my hand and, you know, with his other hand. And just immediately he was the type of person who put you at ease. And so culturally, he was very popular. He was very easy to love. Uh, but uh, apparently didn't get the moves done that Paul Allen wanted or didn't have that connection. So was famously fired on draft day. Allen brings in Rich Cho after that, who lasts for a year, maybe, and then is fired, and all of a sudden you're looking at this organization going, Witsit has the Jailblazers, you know, uh, legacy to him, so negative for him. Steve Patterson and John Nash, negative for them. Kevin Pritchard, you fired uh, in the most odd way possible. <laughs> and then yeah. Rich Cho was a mistake. At this point, you're going, this organization doesn't know its head from its rear end, right? So there was considerable pressure on the Blazers to get the next GM right. That's when... Alan found Neil Olshay, and he found Olshay as a uh, a publicly facing, uh, charismatic salesman who was able to convince people of a program and able to deflect criticism of same. And those were assets at this point because he was walking into chaos. Now. His striking move was the same as in L.A., getting a point guard, in this case, Damian Lillard. And Olshay came in in 2012. Lillard was drafted in 2012. There was a matter of weeks. Olshay came a matter of weeks before Lillard was drafted. So Olshay gave the go-ahead on that pick. One has to think that in that amount of time, it's... Two or three weeks is not enough to fully scout a draft, although he was doing it for the Clippers as well. Um, Also, one has to note that almost everybody was saying that Lillard, even though he is relatively unknown, the people who were looking into the draft were going, Lillard and the Blazers. The Blazers belong with Lillard because they had done the same thing with point guard that they had done with general managers. They had run through a thousand of, they've wasted so many first round draft picks on point guards without getting one that stuck. And it's like, you got to solve this problem at some point. And Lillard was in the right place at the right time. Olshay, right place and right time. And Neil drafted him. And that provided the underpinning for the entire decade. No Lillard. If they had drafted Myers Leonard and someone else there, Olshay isn't here now. That Lillard kept... Lillard was the shield. Lillard was the public face. Lillard was what was keeping the franchise afloat. Uh, in order to keep Neil 
where he was and allow him to tinker around the edges without it being revealed that maybe the way he was tinkering, let alone the way he was operating, wasn't great. I want to take a breath there because that was very long, but I mean, thoughts so far or what response to that? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of history here of of just trying to get it, I don't know, trying to get it right, but, and not. Um, and and it, it's, it's an interesting situation because I don't think that's super common. I don't know a lot about other teams' management, like, I, like with the Blazers, but I don't think it's super common to have those kinds of things happen. Um, and I think that, it's it's interesting to me that after all of that, um, that Olshay would be here as long as he has with as many problems as we've had. And the only thing I can think is, you know, that it's Jody Allen now and not Paul. Well, and I think that. Yeah, we, we can get there. But the point being that even at the beginning, the wind was seriously behind Olshay's sails that he didn't come in here in a neutral position. He came in here, the franchise needed him to succeed and was probably going to do almost anything possible to make sure that whatever he did was protected and looked like a success. Because if he didn't at that point, they really, really didn't. And now all of a sudden, Paul Allen looks like a buffoon. I mean, but, sorry, it's it's that's the way it would. I mean, after ninety-two point guards drafted and ninety-two general managers drafting them, yeah. and none of them work out. In fact, all of them are kind of disasters. This had to work. It just seems to me, though, that that's almost an like that that's backwards. Like you've already done all this, you've already gotten rid of all of these. Like land on one that actually. I mean, they did with Dame. Dame actually worked out. That was great. So that was the first one. But then land on one that's going to be good for the team. If you're going to go through all this firing this guy, firing that guy, firing this guy to get to Olshay, like I just, it is what it is. But right, it just is. But the, you got to remember, in 2011, 2012, this was a disaster. I mean, Brandon Roy had yeah. his knees were going. Greg Oden versus Kevin Durant. I mean, the the NBA will never forget that. It's not quite at the level historically of Jordan Bowie, but it's close. And for a franchise that had done that, I mean, this was a huge gaffe. And I'm not saying that it wasn't a reasonable decision. I'm not arguing the basketball logic behind it. I'm just saying as a public relations and or franchise direction thing, having Greg Oden flame out the way he did publicly and disastrously, while Kevin Durant went on to become a league MVP, you know, greatest 75, some people's perhaps Mount Rushmore when all is said and done, that's a serious issue. And the Blazers were not only dealing with that exactly then, but the absolute collapse of everyone they had built on to that point. The 2016, when Roy and Aldridge came in, were supposed to be the new resurrection, the new march toward the championship. And it looked like it could be that way for about two years. But then Nate McMillan's gone. Uh, Brandon Roy can't play anymore. Uh, Lamarcus, uh, Greg Oden's gone. Lamarcus Aldridge is there but he was the the least of the personalities, and now you have to build around him, and you can't draft to save your life, and you've been through several general managers. There's nothing. There's nothing there to to say this is a quality franchise or this franchise is being managed well. And it gotten to the point, usually that's blamed on coaches. You know how this goes, right? You blame the coaches first, and then you blame, you know, maybe the players and somewhere in there the general manager. But there's all those stair, stair steps before you get to ownership. As soon as people start complaining about ownership, something's really, really, really wrong. And People were complaining about Paul Allen. People were, he was directly in the crosshairs, which was the last place that Paul Allen wanted to be. And frankly, I think he would have considered that somewhat, I I don't know him, but unfair given all the time, energy, passion, money uh, that he had poured into the franchise to have that happen. That must have been a really icky moment. So to have someone come in like Neil, who could not only make it look better, And not only do you hit the jackpot in the draft, but Neil also deflects all that criticism. I mean, he doesn't just absorb it. He doesn't argue his way. He literally squashes it. Now it's not, not only is it not touching Paul anymore, it's not touching Neil. 
right? So all of a sudden, this guy looks like a superhero. And everything that was wrong with the franchise is suddenly right. Now, there are reasons for that, which had little to do with Neil, but I'm, I'm framing it like it's the right, it was the right person for the right chaos to make the problems go away from ownership's point of view, even if from other points of view, it didn't look good. Well, it turned out to not be good. So here we are now with right. this situation and, and no, you know, now he's gone. Right. But, but um, it didn't, that's what I'm saying to you is it didn't come out of nowhere. There, there's reasons that this happened. And understanding this, I think, is a key part of the Olshay story. And actually, we need to, let's go on, I'll summarize real quick, but I think we need to put an epitaph on this that, okay, so the next year's draft, you get C.J. McCollum, who raised eyebrows a little bit, not because C.J. wasn't good, but because the duplication with Dame that we've talked about ever since. Uh, Giannis was available in that draft. Neil didn't get him. <laughs> so and not that he was supposed to. Not many people blame him for that, nor do I really. But it, well, CJ wasn't the best possible pick in that draft, but he was a good one, right? But you also get like other... Uh, Neil was good with really high picks and really low picks. What the Blazers started getting was mostly in between, and those weren't quite as successful. Um, but the big drive was losing the cap space. I mean, you have 2015 where LaMarcus Aldridge leaves and Neil wanted to keep him. And this was the first uh, this was the first crack in the armor, or at least Neil wanted to appear to keep him, I should say, that we found out, we knew that Aldridge was leaving. Neil was still dissembling or not. There was, to the last breath before Aldridge said, no, literally, I'm going, Neil was telling a different story. And we began to see how Neil operated then. But the Blazers lose Aldridge, which is kind of a disaster. But here's what they did. In 2015, instead of winning 20 games, what a lot of people had predicted, or 30, they won 40-something. I forget what it was. In the low 40s. Which for them was a major victory because it was like 13 over what was predicted. But this was the beginning of Neil's publicity machine where he said, look, look what they said about us. Hear the dividing and hear the demeaning. Look what they said about what the Blazers would do and what we actually did, which has two functions. Number one, shuts out the people who would complain. This is Neil's specialty. But also redefines success to whatever I happen to be doing at the moment. And therefore, success is 44 wins or whatever it was, 46, I don't know. You can see the mechanism there. You can see the underpinnings there. And they never stopped it. Now, for that year, for 2015, 40x wins was success. But they never got appreciably more, really. And they never changed that definition of whatever I'm doing is defined as success at the moment. Whether it's spending cap space or making draft picks or making a trade or winning or losing, or whatever it is that we're doing, we're going to define it as success. We're going to squelch all criticism, and we're going to redefine this. And whoever agrees with us is true and faithful, and whoever doesn't disagree with us is either an idiot or not really a fan or whatever it is. Okay, And that mantra carried on through 2016, a gross misuse of, of cap space. It was their big, this was their big thing. Yay, we have a lot of cap space. We will use it. And then they used it on players who didn't really make a difference, right? 2017, you have draft picks up the wazoo, uh, which you then parlay into two players who didn't last really five years with the team. Um, 2018, you makes, you know, made some trade. 2019 was really their big success. And that was making it to the Western Conference Finals, which in retrospect, they got as uh, a lucky bracket draw, really. They stayed away from the Warriors, and they didn't get the Warriors till the Conference Finals and then got swept by them. They did beat Denver in a legit hard series. They beat Oklahoma City with the shot, uh, so or one of the shot, one of Dame's shots. So it was a perfect offseason. What also happened that year? That was the year that, sadly, Paul Allen passed away and Jody took over. Now, up to that point, Neil, I mean, Paul had to have seen what happened in 2016 and 2017. He had to know that Neil wasn't doing real well with this. But 2019, conference finals run, biggest success ever, 
brand new owner. What happens? Both Neil and Terry Stotts that summer get contract extensions when Neil actually might have been fired had Paul still been around. Uh, at least that's the way it looked at the beginning. And I'm, I'm relatively confident. I don't, I don't know what I, I just, my gut says, Paul at least would not have extended Neil in 2019. But that's what Jody did because she was brand new and because they'd had this blinding success. And all of a sudden she was sitting courtside at the NBA conference finals, one series away from the NBA finals, which had always been her brother's dream. We've seen what happened since. I mean, the continued mismanagement of cap space and ineffective trades didn't really get him in the end. What really got him in the end was his own behavior. But it took 10 years and all of this in order for, for him to finally go. And at every step of the way, I would call fortunate turns of events around Neil, either covered up for or made up for the way he was, in essence, either mismanaging the franchise or being a rip-roaring jerk up to perhaps abusive while doing so. It's not an accident that this happened. There were a lot of steps along the way. And I, I, my final argument on Neil is that he has ended up very fortunate to be here a decade. He should not have been. And... I think that story needs to be told, not just for his legacy, but for his future. That his, this was not a success in any way, shape, or form. This was Damian Lillard's era. This was not Neil Olshay's era. And I will end the way I started. Go back, take Damian Lillard off of this team, draft somebody else. And what happens? This team is barely making the playoffs if it makes the playoffs for the last 10 years. This team is probably functionally pretty close to Sacramento. It is Damian Lillard who made this work, not Neil Olshay. So I don't know what you can look at that entirely recommends him other than he did reasonably well with some low-level draft picks and he did reasonably well with his lottery picks when he had them. Everything else was not great. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of history there. Clearly. I think, you know, it's, it's a lot to comprehend everything that's going on right now and everything that led to this point. Um, I, I agree that Neil has done a lot of things that really caused problems for this team more than anything else. Um, and I think that, I think you're right in your statement about, you know, Dame being the difference here, not Neil. I don't think that we can we can give Neil credit for the success that the team has had. Um, I, I think that credit goes elsewhere. But here we are now. He's finally gone. He's fired. It's a good thing. Um, and so now, does this make a difference in this season? I don't think, I don't even want to get into all the, like, who are we going to do? Where do we, like, I don't want to do all that because we will see that's going to, that's going to come up. We can speculate all we want, but I do think it's worth a, a, sh a quick conversation about, does this make a difference this season? Does this make a difference, you know, in, in what we do before the trade deadline? Is there now a possibility that, you know, we are able to make some moves that Neil was stubborn about and refused to make um, in order to move forward and maybe have a, a much better second half of the season. I personally think that it's possible. I think, you know, if we can get somebody in here quickly who will actually be willing to make moves, the thing about whoever's coming in now is there's enough frustration built i think both with probably the team and with the fans that he whoever comes in can come in and make changes and it's not really going to get worse even if the team gets worse at least a move was made at least we tried something different this is not a championship winning team as is so if we can bring someone in who's willing to take some risks and willing to get creative and do some things we might actually stand a chance at making some sort of effort towards winning a championship in the next few years. 
we're not anymore one move away. There was a point where we were one move away, where I really thought all we need to do is, is one move, one move, and we are contenders. And I don't think we're at that point anymore. And that's frustrating. It's frustrating to have gone backwards, essentially. But that being said, I do think that with the right moves and someone who can get creative and have some basketball knowledge and, and be less attached, we might have a shot at, at, a, at a near future run. I hope so. I'm going to, I'm a hope so for you. I want to lift you up. I want to lift up all Blazer fans uh, who are relieved at this. So yes, let's, let's put that in um, a shiny display case, hang it on the wall and keep looking at it without contaminating it in any way by what I'm about to say. Uh Oh yeah. Well, cause here's the thing is that I agree that this will portend a future for the franchise and a future that was probably brighter, as it turned out, than the one that would have been had Neil stayed. And and here's why. And this is not just anti-Neil or his conduct or anything. Uh, the Blazers have no cap space, as we said. The Blazers have traded away quite a few of their draft picks, all right? Um, also, the Dra- Blazers have increasingly fewer trade assets. They're down to seven players now. I mean, they they don't they don't have a ton. And by the way, uh, two of those players are incredibly high salaried, and two of those seven uh, are still on rookie contracts. Now, rookie contracts are tradable. But what can you get back for them? Is the problem. So, like, you have maybe three players who can actually be moved. Yusuf Nurkic or moved easily. Yusuf Nurkic, Robert Covington, and Larry Nance Jr. And two of those are expiring. <laughs> so. There's not a lot of trade assets here that are very easy to move. Okay, the Blazers are stuck. They got to the end of the road, locked themselves in a cupboard, and that cupboard is very limited. The future down this road, it's no further. All right, there's not there's no, no more magic moves, no more potential that could have really been done. So in that way, the future is brighter, no matter what. We'll put that next to your display case. That's the wallpaper behind it. It's much more likely, I think, that this team is deconstructed that this is the end of the road. I say that for a few reasons. First of all, I think, especially this year, CJ is starting to underplay his contract. There is still a hope or mystique around CJ, even as late as last year. But he's making a ton of money. And uh, you look at him and you go, wow, that's, I mean, I respect his 20 points a game. I respect his ability. But is that really going to make the difference for $34 million a year? I don't know. I think I can get those points somewhere else, right? Um, so he's going to be difficult to move, I think. And that was the big leverage move. And you not only needed to move him, but you need to move him for something better or something significant. Now, maybe you can package CJ and Nurk. I mean, maybe that's a possibility too. Uh, so, you know, it's not like there aren't moves to be made, but they're difficult. What does Dame do, though, now? He's looking at this same picture. And does he, I mean, we already talked about this summer, uh, but does he go, you know, I'm really, really writing it out here. Even though new GM is coming in, there's going to be changes. We know that. Nurk's no longer going to be here. Covington's no longer going to be here, which may or may not. I mean, I don't think Covington matters one way or another. Larry Nance is short-term. CJ has got to be traded. Who's left? Anthony Simons kind of plays my position and style. (laughs) Who's left? Who's left here to play with or for? There's an awful high bar to bring back players who are magically going to rally around Dame and bring a resurgence. It's, it's very hard to do. And Dame himself is kind of breaking down. I mean, this abdominal thing, I get it. And I don't think Dame is going, I'm done. But Dame is probably going, you know what? It would be nice to have some help. It's not there. So it's, it's much more likely. And by the way, here's the other thing, the last thing, is that Olshay was really resistant to making these moves because Olshay sold Olshay's moves, and particularly Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. New GM is not going to have that same affection for McCollum, for sure. May not entirely have it for Lillard. Uh, I mean, it depends on which Dame shows up. But Lillard is Lillard becomes a PR nightmare a little bit for a new GM. Not that you wouldn't love having him, not that you trade him cavalierly, but Lillard is the reason people are saying you should be better than you are. If a new GM can get a lot of draft picks out of Dame, 
they have to be at least tempted because they know they can't build around Dame and and win a title. And they're probably going to look better and have more toys to play with if they can get picks for him uh, instead of him. I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I know we it. need to probably wrap it up because no, we, we don't. we've gone it's, on for like an hour. Well, I mean, um, it's an old shape podcast. Go for it. Spill your thoughts. <laughs> um, but I, the short version is this. I think, first of all, that unless Dame requests a trade, we are doing a massive disservice in trading him. I think when we have wasted this man's time for the last nine years, not being willing to make any kind of move to get him a championship and then move him for picks uh, without him requesting that, I would be furious. I think that that's such a disservice to a player who has been um, committed to a small market team when he could have gone somewhere else and won a ring by now. That would be infuriating to me. I think that, um, you know, there there are trades that can be made in, in some of the other players, and, and I think that that needs to be done. I am not someone anymore who is saying, I I think at this point you don't trade Dame and anyone else is on the chopping block. Um, I think there needs to be change. I think that this isn't working. I think that's obvious. So make some changes and give some other things a try. But in my opinion, you do not trade Damian Lillard unless he requests out. That being said, I think he's in a position where if he were to request out, nobody would blame him for it. I think he's held on. He's, he's done Uh, a lot more for this team than I think you could expect of someone of his caliber in this situation. Um, And I think that Neil being gone and, and all of this change happening gives him a fair chance to say, Hey, look, I I've done what I've done here, but I, I just, I need to move on. I don't think anyone would blame him in that situation, but I don't, I, I actually kind of would be surprised to see that happen. Um, so in my opinion, you don't trade Dame unless he asks out and I don't think he will. So build around him, do what you need to do, trade the other people, do, do whatever you need to do and, and do the best you can to build around him. And I know that our hands are tied in a lot of ways, but there are things that can be done. And that's why I said, if we get someone in here who has some basketball knowledge and some creativity, they may be able to make moves that will work, that will play to his strengths and weaknesses that aren't necessarily just a big name. I mean, fair, but if the Blazers show any indication of even thinking about trading Dame, he will probably want to be traded. You know what I mean? The two go hand in hand. There's no reason for him to want to stay. There's zero well, there, there is, though, and he said that. He said over and over that this is where he wants to be, that this is where he wants to bring a ring. Okay, he said that. But hold on, hold on. Yes, the way you say, like, I love my school or whatever, right? Yes, that's legit. But let's say you're working in a school and you love the faculty, you love the students, you love the principal or whatever. Let's just pretend we love all those things. The principal actually wasn't that great, but let's pretend. Okay. The principal's gone. Uh, the students have graduated. Most of the of co- your co-faculty are gone. The one reason, the one link that he could have to continuity right now would be C.J. McCollum, who is exactly the guy that everybody is saying has to be traded. Once C.J. is gone, who is left? And by the way, again, Nurkic, expiring contract. Literally, who is left? Terry Stotts is gone. James has got a brand new coach. He's going to have a brand new GM. He's going to have a different center, probably. He's going to have a different starting power forward. And by the way, this starting power forward has only been around for two years. Doesn't have a small forward. He just met Norman Powell last year. Uh, he has a couple of guys underneath that have been around in Anthony Simons and Nasir Little for like two to three years. There's literally no one except CJ in the entire but organization that he has any institutional connection to. I don't to. think that's what it's about for him. I don't think that's what it's about. I, I, I really don't. And maybe I'm wrong. This is obviously not coming from Dame. This is my impression and what I've picked up on. I don't think it's about that. I think this is a man who sat there and watched Giannis win with the team that drafted him, a small market team last year, 
And he wants that. He wants to be that guy. And I think that he's in a position right now where he can he 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 can try to be that guy or he can move on. And essentially that's not going to go over well with a lot of fans. And I don't think you I, I think Dame is someone who is loyal to this city and to the fans. And I don't think it has as much to do with the leadership or the players on the team. I think that that that's he's a lot less tied to that than he is to being in a Portland Trailblazers uniform. Maybe, but you know what? Every team has a uniform and every team has fans. And fans I know are, that, fans are, but I don't think that's what he I don't think that's what where his tie is. He constant he doesn't say I want to win a championship with CJ. He doesn't say I want to win a championship with Chauncey. He doesn't say any of that. What he says is I want to win a championship in Portland. I want to bring a ring to the to the team that drafted me. I wanted he's not talking about any of those other things. And so in my opinion, again, just my opinion, that's not what this is about. I don't think that this is going to be a huge factor in that. If anything, to me, this is an opportunity where hey, some moves that maybe he would like to see can actually happen. He asked for moves and Neil didn't give him the what he asked for. So maybe now someone else can come in and do that. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but the moves that he that are going to be made are going to take away the last bit of continuity and attachment that Lillard has to the franchise. That's got to factor in. I mean, he's he's going to Does be it? he's going to be the last man standing. I mean, look, it's like uh, this is oversimplified, and I don't mean just Neil Olshay. I actually think that maybe Olshay trading, being traded will be a positive for the franchise, even in Dame's point of view. Because you notice, as we pointed out before, there was not a big rush to defend this guy, <laughs> to defend Neil from the players, right? But it's like being at a corporation, and you get bought out, and now all of a sudden, everything is different, and everyone is different, up to and including your co-workers now you've had a lot of pride in that name in the business corp or whatever you worked for but now business corp means something completely different and by the way there are organizations down the street who are also very successful who really really want you who offer people who will be happy to see you when you walk in the door just because you're you and just because you're new that business corp can no longer offer you and when you look at your office you're now seeing the ghosts of what used to be and the people you used to know instead of appreciating what's here now that's that's very human, and that's not unlike what's happening here. I mean, and again, literally name me the person left in the organization from the owner down to the 15th player on the roster whom Damis had attachment to for more than two years. <laughs> there's Yusuf Nurkic, who's going, and there's CJ McCollum, who's probably going, and that's it. I mean, aside from trainers and stuff like that, you know, uh, of the public, visible, important people— Dame will be the last person standing. And that's a much different view than being among the family or organization that you grew up in. All right. Well, I think we have to agree to disagree on that because I, I see your point and I think that there's something to be said about that, but I don't think it's going to be a determining factor for it. Sure. Well, and and we should I should say also that the original point was that the, the management will be more apt to make these trades now. That's the hidden change there that Olshay was more than likely the roadblock on a lot of these major changes. That roadblock is now gone. And it's not a matter of whether changes will be made. They're going to be made. The question is, where's the boundary? And you knew where it was with Olshay. You knew who was not going to be touched. Now you don't know. And there's a possibility that, honestly, that extends even to Dame. And that may be two-sided. It may be one-sided. It may be one-sided in either direction. But we're now entering into a big unknown. And I don't think it happens this season, probably. I mean, they may make a mid-season deal, but those are difficult. But next summer, that's going to be super interesting. And also, what happens if they continue on this path and they're just mediocre. They barely make the playoffs. They go out in the play-in, or they lose in the first round, or they don't make the playoffs. What happens? Uh, that's that's not going to be a very pleasant summer for the existing culture. And I, I, I think it's overwhelmingly likely that we are now seeing the, the end of, of this era. 
that the Blazers are, are going to be forced into a rebuild one way or the other. I definitely think it's an end of an era, but I think it's a different era than you think it is. <laughs> I think we're, I think we're coming at this from two different places and I guess we'll see moving forward, you know, where this goes. I, I think at, at the very least today, we can be encouraged by the fact that the Portland trailblazers made the right decision in getting rid of somebody that was causing a, a, a we'll just say it in this way, a toxic work environment that was causing chaos and pain to people that should not have had to experience that. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. It, it's, it's a good day for the Portland trailblazers. Um, and you know, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. Very good. So, uh, we hope that you enjoyed this special episode and, uh, you know, share your Olshay thoughts below. I'm sure we'll have much more to say about this in various venues. Uh, thank you, Dia, for making time to do this among your busy schedule and uh, thank you fans for listening and let's walk into this great unknown together for Dia Miller I'm Dave Deckard we will see you next time a hater sees an opening down the lane moves towards the hoop but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away saying get that weak stuff out of here Dave scoops up the loose ball now it's a fast break the other way with Dia she's flying down the court Dave comes here now to you she jams it boom shakalaka Cloud is on his feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent! <laughs>